John 10, 1 through 10. Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So these verses from John 10, this is the gospel reading from today's lectionary passages. And in this passage, Jesus does two things, two things. He addresses a problem and he offers a solution. Now, the, the problem that Christ addresses here is one that is very common today. This is the problem of people uh, being hurt by or disillusioned with uh, church leaders and institutions, with religious leaders. Uh, many people today in our culture report that they feel that they have been deeply hurt by the church. They've been let down by their leaders. They have seen authority misused. They've watched entire congregations obsess over politics and cultural issues and things like that and just kind of forget the gospel. Uh, many people just tell you that they have witnessed toxicity and hypocrisy and misogyny and heresy and duplicity and you name it. They've seen it in their church. Many people today have been hurt in these ways. And this is exactly the kind of problem that Christ addresses in this passage. John chapter 10 is the continuation of a story that begins in John chapter 9. It's all one narrative that fits together, and it is the story of Jesus healing a blind man. There, we read in John chapter 9 that there was a man who had been born blind, and this man was the member of a particular synagogue, and Jesus healed the man. And instead of rejoicing with this individual over what Christ had done in his life, the leaders of that synagogue attacked the man. They questioned his experience, they maligned his character, they interrogated his family, they pressured him to conform, and then finally, at the end of John chapter 9, they kicked this poor guy out of their faith community. So this is a context where an individual had been hurt, and what's worse, he had been hurt by the very people who were supposed to be caring for his soul. Now the Gospel of John doesn't tell us precisely why these congregational leaders treated that man the way they did. 
Uh, maybe they felt threatened by the spiritual authority that they saw demonstrated by Jesus. Uh, maybe they were jealous of the attention that Christ was receiving because of this miracle. Maybe it was the way that Jesus healed this man. It just kind of disrupted their sense of, of uh, religious decorum. They didn't feel like they were in control of things anymore. Jo John doesn't tell us exactly why they did what they did, but he does tell us that the way those leaders treated that man was not an anomaly. This seems to have been their regular practice. This is what they did to people. In, in uh, chapter 9, verse 22, we read that even before this man was healed, it says the leaders had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So that's, you see, that's the context of, of today's passage. It's a, it's, it, these words of Christ were spoken in the context of what many people today would call spiritual abuse. There's a Christian counselor named Diane Langberg who has uh, written about her involvement with people who've suffered from spiritual abuse. Here's something she writes. She says, I have worked with Christian leaders who have used their power to control, manipulate, and silence those entrusted to their care. They use their position and words to coerce others by manipulating, deceiving, or humiliating them. They say, God says followed by words that do not reflect the character of God. Their words are believed to be a reflection of the mind of God because of the position they hold, but she says this, but an ability to articulate theological truths does not mean that the speaker is an obedient servant of God. She's talking about spiritual abuse, and, and uh, that's the context of today's passage. Now, if you, um, if you or someone you love has been the recipient of that kind of abuse, it might comfort you. In fact, I think it should comfort you to notice that Jesus addresses the problem. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He doesn't look the other way. He doesn't blame the victim. He, he doesn't make excuses for the leaders. Oh, you know, they're under a lot of pressure. He doesn't make excuses for the leaders to somehow protect the institution. No, Christ publicly addresses these spiritual leaders, and, and he calls them out. Boy, does he call them out. He says they are thieves, verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. He, he says they are not true shepherds. They are, they are strangers whom the sheep must not follow. That's what he says in verse 5. He, he says that their motives are impure. They come, verse 10, only to kill and steal and destroy, not as Christ does to give people life. So Jesus here, he addresses the problem. And if you've read the New Testament, I know many of you have, if you've read the New Testament, you know this is not the only place where Jesus condemns abusive spiritual leadership. He just seemed to talk about this all the time. Matthew chapter 6, he talks about people who perform their acts of righteousness merely to be seen by others. Matthew chapter 7, he talks about preachers who, quote, come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ferocious wolves. Matthew 23, he talks about leaders who, quote, tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but who themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And in Luke chapter 20, he talks about, he says, teachers of the law 
who like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with, greeted with respect and to have places of honor at the banquets, he says, they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. And then he went on to say, these men will be punished most severely. So in the gospel, Jesus condemns abusive spiritual leadership. Now, don't you wonder how the, the man who had been healed of his blindness, don't you wonder how he felt when he heard Jesus confront these religious leaders? I mean, this, this man had no status at all in that faith community. He, his whole life he had been disabled, he had been blind, he had been poor. We read in John chapter 9 that he made his money by sitting on the street begging for coins from people. He had no status. And, and yet these leaders who had mistreated them, listen, these were men of power, these were men of influence, these were the kinds of leaders who support an itinerant preacher like Jesus would normally covet. To cross men like that could not only destroy a preacher's ministry, to cross men like that might even cost a preacher his life. And it is something. Jesus spoke up for their victim. Now, people who heard this might have just trembled with awe, especially those who were familiar with the Old Testament Hebrew writings, because, because they, knew, they knew there was a prophecy, a messianic prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 34 that predicted that one day the Lord, Yahweh himself, would come to confront the false shepherds in Israel for the way they were mistreating God's people. And in that prophecy, Ezekiel said that on that day, the Lord himself would begin to shepherd and care for his people. I wonder if people just thought, could that be happening through this carpenter from Nazareth? And we know today that it was. That prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus. So if you have been hurt, you're the victim of manipulative leadership, someone you love has been crushed through a kind of a toxic church culture, There's a couple of things you should know from this passage. Number one, Jesus is on your side. And number two, he really cares for you. So two things Christ does in this passage. First, he addresses a problem. And secondly, he offers a solution. Now, what is the solution? Well, what should you, let me ask it this way, what should you do if you've been hurt by the church, if you've been disappointed by, by the example of some spiritual leaders, what should you do? Well, some, some people say, I think I know what to do. I will just give up on Jesus. I won't be a Christian anymore. I mean, listen, if some, if some of the spokespeople for Christ are hypocrites, then obviously the gospel can't be true. I'll just give up on Jesus. L listen, if, if, if uh, you're considering that Taking that step, I understand, but I plead with you. I plead with you to reconsider. I mean, listen, you, you know, you know this. The fact that some shepherds are false does not mean that there is no true shepherd. And this passage tells us that Jesus is the true shepherd. He is. Verse 2, he says, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls 
his own sheep out by name and leads them out. Verse 4, when he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. Jesus is the true shepherd. He knows his people. He loves his people. He calls his people. He laid down his life for his people. He is the true shepherd. So listen, please don't give up on him. Follow his voice. Someone says, okay, okay, I won't give up on Jesus. I'll just give up on the church. I'll follow Christ by myself in isolation. I'll stay home and watch church on the internet, right? Just give up on the church. Listen, again, this passage would counsel against that course of action. You'll, you'll notice here, yes, the shepherd calls his sheep individually. He, call, he says he calls his sheep by name. But did you notice? He calls his sheep by name, but he leads his sheep as a flock together. Just need to, I think our generation needs to understand this. Jesus is, not, Jesus is not an Uber driver who picks you up in front of your house and then drives you off to heaven all by yourself in the privacy of his car. No. Jesus is a shepherd who leads his sheep as a flock, as a church. We, we, we just need to know this, that Christ, listen, Christ, your Savior, Christ does not want his people to abandon him. His church, and we should remember this. It's His church, right? What did Jesus say in Matthew 16? He said, I will build my church. The church is His, and He loves it. He calls the church His bride. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Christ loves the church. So what is the solution? If you've been hurt by institutional religion, you've been disappointed by religious leaders, what, what's the solution? Well, it's not to abandon the shepherd. Don't give up on Jesus. It's not to leave the flock. Don't give up on the church. What is the solution? Well, Jesus says the solution, the, the figure of speech he uses, he says the solution is to enter by the gate. Verse 7, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Verse 9, he says it again, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find safe pasture. I am the gate. John Calvin wrote about that verse. He wrote this, this mode of expression conveys the meaning that to Christ alone we must all be gathered. He wrote, Christ invokes and exhorts all who desire salvation to come to him. Now the truth is, the ugly truth is that for 2,000 years there have always been leaders in the church who are not true followers of Christ, right? But here's the thing, they are not the gate. Jesus is the gate. He is, he is the one that leads to life, right? But someone says, but what if my minister is a phony? What if my, my church leaders are hypocrites? Well, listen, if I'm in a building that's on fire, right? The alarm is sounding, the flames are going up, the room is filling with smoke. If, if I'm in a building that's on fire and there's only one way out, I'm going to head for the exit. 
And, and, and if when I, when I get to the exit, I discover that the person holding open the exit door is not a very nice person, I'm still gonna go through the door, right? I'm still gonna go through the exit. Why? It, because it's the door that leads to life, not the person holding the door open. Does that make sense? Jesus is the door. He is the gate. He says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, they will be saved. Now, in the early fourth century, the early fourth century, a season of fierce, fierce persecution broke out against the church under the rule of the Roman emperor Diocletian. It was just, it was a horrible season of persecution. In response to that persecution, many people in the church renounced their faith. They just publicly turned away from Christ. Among those people who renounced their faith was a significant number of priests. Leaders of the church betrayed the Savior. And this created a serious problem for Christians in, in the fourth century. There was a, a whole sect that arose, a group of, of people that today we call them the Donatists. And the Donatists, they went around telling people this. They told people, listen, if the priest who baptized you renounced his faith, then you were not baptized by a true Christian. And if you were not baptized by a true Christian, then you are not a true Christian. Your, your, your salvation is invalid. That's, that's what they taught. They taught, in other words, the Donatists taught that your salvation depends on the integrity of the person who brings you to the Lord. We refer to that as Donatism. In the year 409, Donatism was officially denounced by the church as heresy. The church says that is not true. The church, the church ruled that even if the person who brought you to the Lord is the worst scoundrel who ever lived, if you've come to the Lord, if you've come to Jesus, you're saved. Now, why did the church teach that? Why did they denounce Donatism? Why, why, why didn't they care about these phony priests? Were they getting soft on, mor on morality and, and integrity? But why did they teach that even if you're baptized by a phony church leader, you're still a Christian? I'll tell you why they taught that. Because Jesus is the gate, right? It's the gate that leads to life, not the person holding the gate open. One uh, Christian author named Wendy Alsop wrote this. She's, she wrote, the answer to the problem of spiritual abuse is summed up in Jesus Christ. I'm going to repeat that line. The answer to the problem of spiritual abuse is summed up in Jesus Christ, who did not save his own life or his own reputation, but gave up both willingly for the safety and flourishing of the sheep. Jesus' love, she writes, is a balm, a medicine to those who have been abused as he restores our dignity and removes any shame projected onto us by an abusive leader. The answer to the problem of spiritual abuse is Jesus. When I was, when I was in seminary years ago, there was a young woman who played piano at the church I was attending. And this young woman, had, she had grown up in a, in a different church. She grew up in a small church where her father was the pastor. And her father was a wicked man. All right, I mean, listen, no one's perfect, but not everyone is wicked. This man was wicked. He had done things to her and her sisters when they were little girls that are just horrible. He was actually arrested and sent to jail. This is the man who taught her about Jesus. 
and she was in church every week. And as far as I could tell, she loved the Lord. As I told you, she was a musician, so I asked her once, what, what is your favorite hymn? She didn't have to think twice. She didn't have two or three. She didn't have one or two. She had one favorite hymn right off the bat, she told me. And I later went home and, and looked it up, and uh, this is the first verse to that woman's favorite hymn. Loved with everlasting love, led, drawn by grace, that love to know, spirit sent from Christ above, thou dost witness it is so. Oh, this full and precious peace from His presence, all divine, in a love that cannot cease. I am His. I'm Christ's. I am His. And He is mine. You know, every Christian can sing that song. I am His, right? I belong to Jesus. I'm part of a church, but the church doesn't own me. I have a pastor, but my pastor is not my savior. I listen to preaching, right? But the voice I follow is the voice of Jesus. And if even if someday I should discover that the one who held open the gate to life for me was a very imperfect person, I'm going to go through the gate anyway because the gate leads to life, and the gate is Jesus. Amen? Jesus said, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, they will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Let's, let's pray. You know, in the, in the prayer meeting this morning, there was a, a prayer. This person had no idea they're going to preach on this, and the prayer was just for healing for anyone who's been hurt in church. And uh, I want to pray that over you today, that kind of prayer. So I'm going to ask everyone, if you don't mind, to close your eyes. I want this to be a private moment. But if you, if you have been discouraged by hypocrisy in, in perhaps prominent Christian leaders or you've been hurt in church or just disappointed with American Christianity and you're hurting from it and you want healing, if you would just slip up your hand and take it down, um, I want to pray for you. Jesus, you are our shepherd. You lead us to life, safe pasture. And so for any who, in this gathering this morning, who've just been, are weary or worn out or discouraged or hurt um, by things that have happened in Christian contexts, I pray your deep, deep healing for them your healing. Those of us who are in leadership, we ask your forgiveness for our failures as leaders. I ask your forgiveness. And I, I pray, Jesus, that we would, as your people, keep our eyes on you. You are the shepherd who loves the sheep so much you laid down your life. And Jesus, we love you. Amen.